Welcome to IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. I'm Jim Hemphill, and I write about filmmaking craft for IndieWire. My guest today is Dolph Lundgren, who you probably know as an actor from films like Rocky IV, Universal Soldier, and more recently, James Wan's Aquaman movies. But over the last 20 years, Lundgren has been quietly forging a directing career, making modestly budgeted action films that are a throwback to the character-driven cop flicks of Don Siegel and Clint Eastwood. His latest film, Wanted Man, plays like a contemporary riff on Eastwood's 1977 classic, The Gauntlet, as Lundgren plays a racist cop whose perspective is challenged when he's sent to Mexico to pick up a witness, and finds himself at the center of a web of corruption involving both the cartels and law enforcement on both sides of the border. I was really impressed by Lundgren's clear, dynamic action direction, and by his surprisingly delicate performance, especially since I know that he isn't working with generous studio budgets and schedules when he does these films. We talked about that, and about what he learned from other directors he worked with, like Sylvester Stallone, Sidney J. Fury, and one of my favorites, Craig Baxley. Here's our conversation. So one of the things I really loved about your movie is it kind of felt to me like a throwback, almost like a 70s Clint Eastwood movie or something in terms of this guy who's, you know, he's he's kind of, un, he's, you know, he's really unlikable actually at the beginning. I mean, he's kind of like a racist thug, but then as the movie goes along, you know, there's a lot more nuances that come out. And I really liked the way you played this guy where you didn't force the likability, but you just kind of let these su- this subtle side of him come out. And I'm curious, when you're directing yourself, how challenging is it calibrating that, you know, for a character? I mean, when you don't have a director to rely on, I mean, is that something that's uh, a challenge? And, you know, how do you kind of maintain your own perspective on the, the character? Yeah, the, those are good questions. I, I agree that it, that's the most difficult thing is to try to keep that arc, you know, um, natural and not forced. And, you know, because if you have a director there to kind of gauge you through it and, and be a sounding board, it's, it's really important. So the way I, I like to work is I get prepared for it quite quite well. And then um, um, <clears throat> I have, you know, like for instance, my wife here, Emma, she's a co-producer and I, I speak to her and, and I also with the DP usually, and I kind of tell them, this is what we're looking for so that Especially if it's a scene where it's complicated to to um, reset, you know that I don't have to do too many takes because I don't like to do a lot of takes. Um, I don't have the uh, money or the time to do it on the schedule, so I I try to be brief about it. But yeah, I think that um, you try to give uh, to give various um, slight variations and various takes as well, so that there is a little bit of of wiggling room when you're um, when you're editing and and like trying to shape that arc. Well, and you know, a guy like this again, I just I was really I was so impressed with your performance because I just I really felt like by the end of the movie I felt for this guy, even though at the beginning I just thought he was such a complete jerk. And I'm wondering, you know, where does that like where how do you get in the head of a guy like this? I mean, is this someone? Have you observed people like this? How do you find? Because you seem, from everything I've seen, you seem like a pretty nice guy. Like, how do you, how do you find that side of yourself? <laughs> well, um, first of all, it, it was it's a character who's written on the page, so it's already been calibrated a little bit in the script. Uh, his reactions to to people and and things, but I mean, um, by building a backstory, you kind of um, 
you know, find a way to relate to that type of a person, you know, within yourself. But, I mean, in my case, for instance, it it reminded me of my dad quite a bit, who was kind of had a lot of preconceived notions. And, you know, he was a kind of a bitter guy. And, you know, he was a nice guy at times as well. But, you know, he just had a way of looking at people, you know, and judging people, you know. And, uh, you know, he never really made that that turn in his life. You know, he got a little mellow as he got older, but still, he still was the same guy, you know. And I so I drew on him quite a bit. Well, and you mentioned, you know, the the script. So you were a writer on this as well. What's the writing process uh, like for you? You know, you, you've got a couple other co-writers on this movie. Is this something where you come up with the idea and you bring them on board and you all work together? Was it a script that came to you that you kind of reworked? How does that, what were the origins of it? Well, usually um, it's just different. Everything is different. In this particular case, I came up with the idea and then one of the writers wrote a script and then I had a bunch of notes on that script and then we brought in another writer to, you know, work on certain sections of it. And then when we got to New Mexico, um, we had some problems, production problems because of uh, various union issues and other things and and the budgetary issues. And I had to rewrite a, a lot of it. Actually, the third act, I had to rewrite a couple of times based on you know, what we could do and what we couldn't do. Um, this is also after the whole, uh, you know, um, Baldwin incident, uh, Alec Baldwin incident. So there's a lot of safety issues that have to be careful with. Um, so, um, yeah, it, it's all this, the process is different every time. But I, you know, I would, I prefer not to write from scratch. Uh, I prefer to rewrite stuff and, and to give comments to, to a writer. Well, now, I, I'm actually curious about your background going back to when you first started directing. I think um, I think the first one you did was The Defender. And now, is it true that I read that you basically stepped in on that one because Sidney Fury was originally supposed to direct it? And, yeah. yeah. So uh, was that had you always been thinking about directing at that point or was it sort of a circumstance where you just kind of had to jump in because of what was going on with Fury? Um, I had been thinking about it beforehand and I'd always worked on the script with... Actually, I did a couple of films. I think I'd done two movies with him before, and I, I'd worked on the script with him on both. So he kind of knew that I had a certain way with material. So that's the reason he recommended me to the producers, you know. And uh, I think at first they were a bit, they were a bit uh, shocked, like, "What do you mean, Dolph? What do you mean?" But then Sidney said, "No, Dolph's really good with material, and he understands this, and understands that, and and." Um, and then I, I took that on. I had two weeks of prep, I think, or something like that. So it was kind of hard, but um, I, I enjoyed it. And and then what happened, well, I did a few movies, and then I got caught up in the Expendables franchise, and then came Creed Two and a few other things. So it was only a few years ago that I took it up again, but I always had an interest in it from the beginning. What do you remember about, you know, going back to that idea of having to direct yourself, I mean, your first major movie was Rocky Four, where you had an actor director. And I mean, what do you remember about the way Stallone directed himself? And was there any, were there any lessons that you took from that that sort of informed the way you approached it going forward? Yeah, I, I think I was influenced by it because I saw him, how hard he worked and how, you know, he had the character down, obviously, from the first three movies. So he had the character down quite a bit. 
you know, he did a lot of his own stunts in that picture too. He did a boxing with me, and 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 he was uh, quite mindful with the actors, but also, you know, uh, you know the energy level it took for him to box, direct, produce, and then rewrite stuff in between. I I saw that, and I and I was impressed by it, and I I think that as far as directing himself, I I mean, he did take care, and and he. He was quite overworked at times, and I remember him relighting certain close-ups he was doing because, I mean, I remember he turned to the DP and he went, help, you know, like, <laughs> I, I don't look too good. <laughs> and they relit the, sh- the shot. So, you know, I, I was mostly kind of inspired, I think, by his work uh, to, do, um, to, to wear all those hats. Well, you mentioned, you know, on Wanted Man, you're dealing with, and a lot of these movies, I'm assuming you're dealing with somewhat limited resources, you know? I mean, this is the kind of movie that, again, if this was made in the 70s or the 80s, it might have been a studio movie with Clint Eastwood or Charles Bronson or somebody like that. You know, nowadays, the studio movies are more, go towards the the superhero stuff and these uh, these more, re- for lack of a better word, realistic action movies, it seems like the budgets kind of shrink. So what are some of your, um, I guess, not tricks is the wrong word, but uh, techniques for kind of maximizing your resources when you know you're coming into something like this and you're going to have to make the most you can with a, a limited schedule and budget. Yeah, it's a good question because, you know, I, I do have experience in that, in that area from making all those smaller movies and, I mean, as an actor and also a few as a director now. And I think for me, uh, what I do is, one, I prepare all the actors quite well, the main cast where I will, you know, um, usually I write a little character bio if they haven't done it and we discuss beforehand like a month ahead of time. So they, we're all on the same page when it comes to the characters, the relationships. So I don't have to, I don't have to do multiple takes because of performance usually. And then I have a way to shoot the action that's pretty quick and uh, I've done a lot of it. So you know, the set, when you come to a big action moment, you know, it, it can easily grind to a halt because people are panicking, like, how do we do this? And, and you know, we can't, you, should we do this way or that way or that way? There's a million ways to do it. And usually I have a way to do it that's pretty simple and, and quick and where I put the cameras and to, to make sure it looks decent. And um, I think I rely on those techniques um, and the preparation to... Um, you know, to be able to do it uh, to keep the set moving, you know. Um, one thing I learned from Sidney Fury was, and he always said, you know, you got to get the first shot off in an hour before, after, after, after crew call, you know. Uh, you know, no matter what it is, he would just like have the DP shoot like an airplane landing or something. You just to have people hear somebody go, all right, quiet, roll it, action, you know, and... Because if you slow down, like on the big movies, uh, sometimes the energy, you lose the energy because people are sitting around for three or four hours before anything happens. And then I think on these films, and I've heard stories about Clint Eastwood, since you mentioned him, he does these kind of medium budget movies. Well, he used to anyway, like a $30 million, you know, 30-day shoots on a studio picture is not a lot, but he would be quite fast as well. So that, you know, there is a certain reality to the experience of the scenes. They don't just drag on for days, but you do them, you know, in three or four hours. 
Yeah, well, I think that's something that kind of comes through in the movie is, uh, you know, it has this energy to it that I really responded to. And, uh, you know, I'm wondering if that's maybe an upside, you know, for when you're doing something on a modest budget. On the one hand, I'm sure you'd always like bigger resources. But on the other hand, does having less time and money in some is is there a benefit to it in terms of having to kind of trust your instincts and move faster and keep the momentum going? Yes, I th- I think so. I mean, the more options you have, the the more complex it gets to make a decision. You know, one if you have an unlimited amount of money, you have five different types of cranes, and you have, you know, three steadicams, and you have all this other equipment, then you know you start looking at your options, and you take more time. I mean, there is, I think, there is a reason. Like a lot of filmmakers, you know, some of their best work could be some of their early movies when they didn't have so many resources and. And then because they were very clever in the way they did things. And, um, you know, once you get more, sometimes when you get more resources, it's not always, it's not always true, but, you know, sometimes it 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 can hinder you a little bit. Um, you can get the story and, and, and your vision can get lost a little bit in all of that. Um, certainly in these superhero movies that you mentioned, I mean, it's a very tedious process shooting those and, you know, my hat goes off to people who can do it to work on that one film for four years or something. Yeah, I mean, it was it was funny watching this movie. I watched Wanted Man about a week after I saw you in the new Aquaman movie, and I was wondering what the diff- You know, the difference is. Um, I'm assuming it's a, it's a huge difference in terms of the amount of time and the surroundings and everything. I mean, it's it's got to be a very different kind of job, I would think. It's, it's like night and day, you know, Aquaman, you work on a, walk onto a soundstage in London and there's like 400 people there and you can hear a pin drop and, you know, you have a three-layer costume and it takes you an hour to get into that and then, you know, you start rehearsing and that takes another couple of hours and and then you got to either put you up on the wires or put you on a, on a moving platform um, and then you start doing takes and the director has a person next to him who's a special effects guy who or a woman who who knows who has like already an animated version of the movie. Now the shot they do with say with me, and say it's me and Nicole Kidman or whatever, it has to match what they've done already for the effects to work. So even if your performance is good, they have to reshoot and reshoot and sometimes you do twenty takes, thirty takes or something. So it's you know, as an actor in the beginning you you start losing your self-confidence going, well, am I really that bad? And I get up to 27 takes on those, you know, I haven't even said anything yet. And and then you realize that's the process. Whereas on Wanted Man, I come in and, and I know I got to finish the scene by launch or maybe it takes a day, whereas on Aquaman it's a week, you know, and um, they're both interesting processes, even though I, I prefer, uh, you know, as, a, as an actor, I prefer the one that, that doesn't drag out so much. How long of a shooting schedule did you have on Wanted Man? We had about, uh, how many days was it? We had to cut a couple of days. It was 25 originally, right? 21 or 22, I think it ended up being. Yeah, which is tough. You know, that means you're shooting, if you say a movie is 100 minutes or 90 minutes, so 20 days, that's, you know, what is that, four and a half minutes a day. So nine minutes, yeah, four and a half minutes a day of, of real footage, you know, you're shooting. So that's that's quite a bit. It's like on uh, Aquaman, you're shooting for a hundred and some days. So 
you know, and if the movie is maybe a little longer, but you're shooting, you know, one or two minutes a day. So there's a big difference. Doing a page a day on Aquaman and three or four pages on on, um, on uh, Wanted Man. Well, and then in Wanted Man, you've got a couple of pretty complicated sequences. Like there's uh, about halfway through the movie, there's this great kind of Peckinpah-esque shootout in the house. Um, and, you know, that's a pretty elaborate sequence to do on a tight schedule. Yes, it was It was elaborate. It was, I had to plan it. I had to pre-score the build, uh, the house. But of course, in a, on a little lower budget, they get the house too late, and then you have to have the effects people come in and score it, and you have to decide exactly, you know, where is this burst going to hit the wall? And, you know... Um, then you you're also up to where you put the cameras to make it work to feel real. So um, I've had some experience with that. So fortunately, otherwise, that sequence. You're right. That sequence could just really hurt you badly on the production side. And I know that the producers were, you know, I mean, I was a producer too, but I was like not a money producer. I was a creative producer. They. They were very nervous about that sequence, you know, and um, they kept, you know, coming back saying, we're not going to get it, we're not going to get it. And I didn't even know. I had to simplify things right till the end on that sequence, you know, and then make it work in editing. You know, it, it's really impressive in that sequence, the way that you kind of uh, keep the audience acclimated to everything that's happening. It's always, you know, like so, so often in action sequences I see... There's a lot of fast cutting, but you can't necessarily tell where anyone is in relationship to each other. And in your movie, I feel like it's very strong in that in that way. And is that just in terms of figuring out where to put the camera and how it's going to all cut together? I mean, for you, having done it for a while, are those choices intuitive or do you have a kind of uh, philosophy about how to go in and approach action direction? Or... Yeah, I mean, my my. Uh... First approach is that I like the actors to do a lot of it themselves. So I like to keep it safe and keep the camera loose enough where you can see who's firing the weapon or who's doing the fighting. Um, I, I don't like movies where, you know, suddenly you have all these quick cuts and somebody's getting punched in the face and you're like, you kind of know it's not the, the actor, it's sort of a double, but, you know, you, you kind of buy that into that, um, that language. And... Um, and, and now with superhero movies, you kind of people are kind of used to it. But I still like the old Eastwood pictures where you kind of see him firing his weapon, and I feel it's a bit more real, you know. And that way, you can you can actually get it done quicker that way too. Well, it's interesting. I noticed looking over your filmography that you've been in a large number of movies that were directed by stunt coordinators or people with a stunt background. I mean, you worked with like somebody like Craig Baxley, who's great stunt coordinator and great director or um i think vic armstrong you know you've got you've done a number of movies with guys like that and what was your experience like working with some of those guys like with baxley i mean is there a difference working with a director who has that kind of stunt background sure yes there is i mean i i loved working with baxley he was very clever and he that's a movie i did with him it's like in the late 80s and we did some stunts in that movie that we, that we actually did as actors that were quite could have been quite dangerous. He just knew how to do it right. But, you know, we were very close to big explosions and things like that. Um, and with Rick Armstrong, um, yeah, the same thing there. I mean, I, I think um, 
I've also, you know, watched a lot of second units on the Expandables movies, too, where stunt guys are in charge. And I think, you know, um, there are some directors, um, I'm trying to remember, the, who is a guy now who does the, um, what's his name, John Wick? Oh, uh, Chad Stahelski. Chad Stahelski, yeah. He, he worked on the Expendables 1 and 2, and he was really good, and obviously he's doing a great job with those movies. So so there's certainly a, you know, there's certainly a way to, for a guy like that to, to make great movies. Personally, I'm interested in the characters and the story, um, and the action is just something I, I, I know how to do it, sort of on my level, so I, I can get that done, but I'm, I'm more interested in the characters and the story. Yeah, well, I think that's why I like a lot of these movies that you've either directed or written and produced over the last you know 10 years or so. Like I really liked the movie you did, uh, Skin Trade, also, and I think it's because in your action movies, what makes the action work is the stuff that happens in between. It's that there is this kind of humanity to these guys, even the horrible guys, even in a movie like Wanted Man, you know, I don't want to give anything away, but just, you know, they're the even even characters who are, you know, bad guys, there's still there's a humanity to them. And um I guess that goes back to again what you were saying about the importance of having conversations with the actors ahead of time. And I'm wondering you know, you do that in pre-production, but then on the set, when you don't have a lot of time, um, what kind of environment do you try to create to help the actors feel relaxed and comfortable and, and free when, as a director, you know that there's a clock over your head and, you know, you only have so much time to get all this stuff done? Yeah, that's that's a good question because that's, I think, job one for a director is to make the actors feel comfortable. So you have to sort of not be stressed out when you speak to them when they show up and make sure you listen to them and talk about the character a little bit and make sure that they're well taken care of you know for, you know like even things like if they fly in on location make sure somebody meets them you know you got to double check these things so sometimes a producer may miss something make sure that everything is set up for them with the hotels and everything so they are in a good mood and they're willing to um they're willing to uh, to sacrifice themselves, you know, because there's a lot of there's a lot of effort on their part that you're going to need as a director, and and um, I, I try to create the good environment, uh, a relaxed environment for them, and then usually we've spoken already, and they're they're not, usually not used to that, so they they're excited about the fact that now they get to act out all the stuff, or more or less react from the stuff we've spoken about on the phone. And uh, I don't usually don't have to do a lot of takes, you know. Um, I mean, guys like Kelsey Graham or Roger Cross, they're super experienced and they're very good anyway. But I, th- I think, I, I, I feel for them because I know what it's like to be an actor. So I always make sure the set's quiet and, you know, uh, people respect the actors. It's very important, you know. And just from a, you know, a business point of view, in terms of the way that the business has been changing, do you find that it's uh, more or less difficult now just to get the financing for these kinds of movies, these kind of mid-range action movies that you do? I think it's getting more and more difficult because, um, you know, the environment's changing. Before, for a while, you have the DVD that really, that was a big um, moneymaker, a way to, to sort of um, hedge your bets if you were going to uh, in, invest in a thing like this. If theatrical, you know, if it didn't do well there, or you, you know, you go to DVD and then you had the video and then you had 
pay TV, and then so now it's more about streaming, and it's getting more difficult. Um, I find that way, uh, but um, I mean it's always difficult to make movies. You know, you know any movie it's difficult to to get made. So I I think it's always going to be like that, and I I think if you have a, if you get a good script and have a good idea, and you find the right actors. And you put a package together, you know, try not to overspend. And you, there's usually a way to get stuff financed. And so at this point, when you've, uh, you know, done as many movies as you have, what motivates you? Like what, um, what, what drives you to keep making movies? And do you, still, do you still enjoy it as much as you ever did? Yeah, I enjoy it more now because it's a little, I'm not as desperate, you know, as I was. And I don't feel I don't beat myself up as much if I make a mistake or if isn't something isn't perfect. It, you know, it's just a way for me to stay current and stay feel young and uh, and uh, I I think feel relevant as well because a lot of times I work with younger people and and um, you work with creative people and and it kind of keeps you young and keeps you motivated to get up in the morning and also you have to stay in shape which is good too. And there's always something new that I can attempt. I mean, I, I just started directing a couple of years ago again. And and I've done, you know, the two movies I made were, one was more of an action picture, and the second one, this one, was a little more character-driven. But then, for instance, then I started thinking, well, I, I you know, started reading, you know, for some reason about film noir, and I got interested in that. And then, you know, I got interested in, uh, somebody pitched me a project that's a little more noir, it can be, and I want to do like a more of a black comedy, and that's why I'm working on that now, so we'll see how that goes. Great. Well, I, I look forward to it. I really, Thanks. really like Twatted Man, and Thanks, I man. really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me about it. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.